Welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Buds. It's the new year. It is January 2nd. We will be releasing on January 3rd. Today we are breaking down Major League Top 10 Second Basemen as well as our Minor League Top 10 Second Basemen with a little 2024 draft in the middle. Richie, what's going on, buddy? It's a brand new year. Yeah, brand new year. Same me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What is it saying? It's a new year, new me. Yeah, yeah, not not for me. Yeah, Uh, don't think it's for me either. No. No New Year's resolution. Uh, I guess the one New Year's resolution I would have is um, maybe this is the year I, I actually land a house. We'll see what the market and the economy looks like come that time. But do not yeah. give in to the social peer pressure of buying a house. I'm, I know, I know. But if the if the right uh, opportunity presents itself, I might jump on it. But we we shall see. You know, if um, that one point two million dollar. 3,000 square foot. Let's just go in and add them together. Drops to, you know, it's one million proper price of 520,000. Yeah, for sure. And if interest rates drop down to, you know, 3%, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Um, And everybody else would be back in the market, just like the good old days. Yeah, it's a great, great, great day and age to be alive. Really, it's a great, great day to be, you know, 32 um, without a home and with interest rates in our economy where it is. But Let's digress and uh, talk about, you know, our distraction in life, which is fantasy baseball. We've had a couple things happen this week. Uh, Giolito signs with Boston. Is that correct? Yeah. Two years. Uh, I want to say he got $18 million per year. That I sounds say. right. I don't have it up in front of me, but let's roll with it. Yeah. Giolito to Boston. And that also means then Boston is, you know, shopping, starting pitching. Chris Sale to the Braves for Von Grisham. Um, I think I'm more excited, obviously, about the sailing Grisham news than I am the Giolito news. I think 100% Sale and Grisham are both winners in this. I think the Red Sox, I think the Braves are winners in this. This seemed like a, a very good trade for both sides. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm excited to see what Grisham can do offensively. The one thing that doesn't really um, show up with this trade is the downfall of A.J. smith Shaver. I do not think this is good for him that Braves rotation now has Spencer Strider Charlie Moore and Max Free Chris Sale to round out their top four and then they Bryce Elder at their fifth spot who did pretty well for the his first year I still think AJ Smith Shaver could beat him out but the path for him to make that rotation becomes a little bit harder with this trade with Chris Sale going to the Braves I think that's bigger news than Chris Sale joining the rotation at least from my perspective yeah, and I think when we're looking at this rotation too, you know, much like the Dodgers rotation in Atlanta, we are going to assume that some of these players probably don't last the entirety of the season. And I think that starts with Chris Sale. I think that also transitions into Charlie Morton. Uh, we saw Max Fried last year have, you know, the injury bump. And I think having Smith Shaver kind of there and in the wing for when these injuries arise also kind of helps his development, helps keep his innings in a position where they're not rushing him to 140 to 160 even 180 which could have been the case if he sticks in that rotation from day one so while it's not great for us as fantasy owners and those of us that have drafted smith schrauber this uh this offseason in dynasty startups it it is probably what's best for his development yeah no i agree they rushed him pretty quickly so um i still think the ceiling's pretty high but initial reactions are his stock lowers just a tad bit but Vaughn Grissom, I think, is shooting up boards. 
um, as we will see, especially with year rankings. He's moved up a little bit on mine, but I am not quite as bullish as you are. So we can talk a little bit more on that once we get into our rankings. Yeah, well, I mean, let's jump right into it. We're going to do top 10 majors. Um, I have done my top 10 majors off of a dynasty um, kind of outlook. And then we're going to do top 10 minors. Same concept, dynasty outlook. Have you done the same? Yeah, um, I did do a little tweak. I do have a few minors in my majors. Uh, I did I did a top 22, and I'll get more into that as we break them down. But I do have a couple minors in here where I'd be willing to draft them as part of my major leagues because I feel that they can provide value this year, and I would feel comfortable as them being my starting second baseman. Um, at the Keystone for most of the season, and then just grabbing one of these later guys as the filler until they actually come up. Like, if I roll with my 22nd second baseman for the first month, first month and a half of the season, I'm okay with him until one of these prospects gets called up and is starting in the majors. So I'll break more into that. Um, however, you want to break them. Yeah, break them down. No, I like that. And you know, we are going to do a targets. Um, part of the show at the end we've listed three different tiers and at least from my own perspective that's exactly what I was thinking for for the targets is you know the holdovers right like I think you mentioned your 22 overall is Andres Jimenez 25 years old and has upside but you're also okay with him filling that gap for your number 12 Colt Heath um, so let's break into it you know start off top 10 majors I'm going to list off my first two pretty obvious Mookie Betts Ozzy Albies I, I don't think there's any disagreement in the industry for the most part there who do you have for your one and two yeah I'll uh I'm going to break them down by tiers um second base has been somewhat of an interest for me because I feel that you can get an advantage by grabbing any one of these guys in the top tier. But I also feel I will have zero shares of this top tier because I feel it hurts you in so many other positions, whether it be first base, third base, starting pitcher, outfield that are so top heavy and they just fall off completely where my top 22, the difference in tiers between them is so slim that I can feel much better about that. But my first tier is, I call it the old reliable tier. So one through four, Mookie Betts, Ozzy Albies, and then I have Jose Altuve and Marcus Semien in here. Um, definitely not targeting Jose Altuve and Semien pretty much in any league unless it's redraft. But um, yeah, they're getting up there in age 33 for either, both of them. Yeah, and, and that's why for me, I have Altuve and Semien respectively 12 and 13 because I share your sentiment. I, I won't draft them in a dynasty league because... I can get the guys that I'm about to list, uh, you know, three, four rounds after them and they're younger, you know, three and four and five for me, respectively, are Nico Horner at three. You have that high end stolen base ability that, you know, that we saw last year. I don't necessarily know that he'll replicate that season to season, but I, I still think he's good for minimum 20 stolen bases. 30, you know, is nice. The 40 that we saw was, I think, probably 90th percentile outcome. Uh, Matt McLean in at four, you saw the power. Is concerns with the strikeouts. Not many people are talking about that. We really need to evaluate him based off 2024 full season. The strikeouts could be a problem. Um, so that's kind of my caveat with him is I still need to see more, but I like what I saw. Von Grissom coming in at number five. That's how far he has risen my board since this trade. I think 
you know, the low exit velos that we're seeing from him in the minor leagues probably won't be as much of a detriment in Boston as they would have been in Atlanta with the Green Monster. And overall, just love the contact approach. Um, and all these guys, for the most part, really good age. You have three to five years of their prime minimum. And that's why they come in for me over Altuve and Semyon. Yeah, um, I definitely agree. I have Horner and McLean as my five and six. They're also part of a larger tier for me. I call it the up-and-coming tier, a little bit younger guys. I also have Zach Geloff and Edward Julian in here. Uh, Zach Geloff coming in at number seven, Edward Julian at number eight. I liked what Zach Geloff did um, and the amount of homers he put up in a limited sample size. I know there are some doubts about his true power potential, but you can't deny a guy who uh, over, I think it was 20 homers over the course of half of the season. Edward Julian, he started out hot, then got a little cold and finished off pretty decent for the season. So I like what Julian's upside is and what his floor he showcased in his first season as a rookie. So I really like Edward Julian. He's definitely somebody that I'm hoping to get in quite a few drafts. Yeah, Julian, his splits last year weren't the greatest, but I mean, he, against righties, he was just special. And I think he's going to be a name that we look at in two or three years as, you know, a top five day in, day out, year in, year out, where he's just giving you a plethora of, you know, the four categories. Speed probably won't be there, but um, Julian comes in a little bit lower for me just because I'll take some of the upside of these other guys. Coming in at six um, is Kim from San Diego. Contract year, maybe. I've heard that in a few publications. I will just kind of scratch that, I guess. But I like what I like what he's done last year. And I think there's opportunity for him to really be a producer in this lineup this year with Soto gone. And San Diego needs him. Um, I think overall he probably, for me, produces the, the highest floor of the rest of these guys. Coming in at seven, I have Glaber Torres. We have been disappointed in uh, since the juice ball has been you know gone now. Andres Jimenez coming in at number eight, really a speed add here. Definitely a down year in 2023, looking for a bounce back. Only 25, so I think there is a bounce back. The Indians, excuse me, the Guardians in general had a bad year offensively last year. So look for a lot of them to kind of rebound in 2024. And then Zach Geloff for me is at nine. This is kind of where a tier ends for me as well. Um, either age or ability moving forward is why guys are listed. Geloff, though, again, strikeout problems and has the power uh, i really like him especially in dynasty leagues once the a's leave oakland i think this could be a 30 home run second baseman if the dimensions of their vegas park slash wherever they play for the next two or three years until they get to vegas are you know hitter friendly yeah the next set of tiers i have is a lot of the guys you just mentioned i call it my old and steady tier so at number nine i have glaber torres coming in at age 27 at 10, I have Hassan Kim, who you just mentioned, at 28. Cattell Marte at 30 years old, coming in at, at number 11. Honestly, I like any of these guys being my top 11 as my starting second baseman. I feel you can't go wrong. It depends on do you want the up-and-coming guys that are a little bit younger, a little unproven, or the steady guys that might have a fall-off and could completely bottom out for you it all depends on the risk and what your team construct looks like as far as a dynasty outlook goes yeah and this is still the tier where i'm okay taking the gamble on the galoff 
um, you know, Torres, Kim, where I'm not banging on the door for one of my top three minor leaguers, but I would like to have them as a safety net. After these guys, I'm really trying to safety net myself with one of those high-end minor league players. Um, next up, I have Bryson Stott, Kettle Marte, and Jose Altuve, as I had mentioned, Marcus Simeon. Bryson Stott has those low exit velos. That concerns me. I do think there's opportunity for him to, as he grows and gets a little bit older to put on a little weight and to improve those exit velos, but I haven't seen enough yet to say I'm okay with him being the future of my dynasty team. And where he's being drafted, at least where I'm seeing him, seeing him being drafted, is at a position where he should be the future of your dynasty. And for that exact reason is why he's fallen for me, because I just won't pay that price. Kettle Marte has been slipping a little bit at 30 years old. You know you have you know two to three prime years left, although the profile does say that you should see a decline and a decline quick. Um, that's to be to be seen. You know he put up a nice season last year. It was a really good bounce back. Altuve and Semyon we talked about earlier. The age. If you're getting one of these guys, you absolutely better have one of those top three to top seven guys in our list because you're going to need to replace them in probably the third year as production starts to really slip off. But I do think at least for both of them, you should have two good seasons. Semyon has produced a little bit better than Altuve um, in the last couple of years, but they still are top 10 at the position. And, you know, if you are in a com competing now position with your dynasty team, it's not a bad thing to have, but you said it. I would rather have an outfield uh, or an outfielder, excuse me, right now, as things are so slim, as we start to see some of these outfielders, you know, graduate and kind of fill that rollout. Um, second base just isn't something I'm investing in early in drafts. No, I completely agree. And that's why Bryson Stott comes in at number 19 for me. I feel he's more so a hollow batting average with uh, limited home run upside. I don't think he can truly get to 15 homers. I feel like that's his ceiling. He had 31 stolen bases last year, and I think that's why he's being inflated so much in drafts. I'm seeing him, like, I want to say top 100-ish, and that's a little too rich for me. Maybe 150-200 is about where I value him, and I just don't think I'm going to get any shares of Bryson Stott, and hey, I'm okay with that. And outside of my top 11, that's where I go into my minor league pool because I'd rather grab one of these guys who I think have immense upside and I'll just pair him with one of these guys later that I can just grab and plug and play. So I'll just jump right into it. I call this my young gun tier. So at number 12, I have Colt Keith. Um, and some listeners may be wondering, but isn't Colt Keith a third base? Pulled up some numbers, and it looked like he played more second base than he did third base as soon as he got uh, bumped up from AA to AAA. So I pulled up the numbers here, Matt. When he was in AAA, these are his game breakdowns by position. 35 games played at second base, 20 games at third base, and 12 at DH. In AA, he had six games at second base, 41 games at third base, and then 12 at DH. So it seems like there was a shift as soon as he went to AAA. I'm taking this as he's going to be their second baseman whenever he's ready. It could be as early as opening day, maybe give him a shot for that rookie of the year. I'm not completely sold on it. I think maybe within the first month or two we see Colt Keith, but I definitely think he's going to be second base. That's why I included him here. Moving on at number 13, I have Matt Shaw. There's also questions about whether he'll be at second base. 
personally, I feel the Cubs keep Dansby Swanson at short, move Nico Horner over to third, assuming they don't sign anybody or trade for anybody, and Matt Shaw comes up and becomes their second baseman. I think that makes the most sense. Nico Horner's got a gold glove at second base. Why not put him at the hot corner, leave Matt Shaw, who's unproven, untested, let him get time to get his feet wet at a position he's know, he knows and is more comfortable and then I'm just going to list off a few other ones because, honestly, you can mix and match. Tyro Estrada at 14, Vaughn Grissom at 15, Gavin Lux at 16, and then I have Ronnie Mauricio. He did tear his ACL, so this is more of a dynasty play. I have him at 17. I do have a note in here that had he not torn his ACL, I'd have him all the way up at number 7 in between Zach Geloff and Edward Julian. That's how high I was on Ronnie Mauricio, but I think you can get him later in drafts because of that ACL injury get him late, get him cheap. I think he's a great pairing, especially for somebody old with Jose Altuve or Marcus Semien. And honestly, it could be interchangeable. Gavin Lux could jump into my 14. Vaughn Grissom could be there. Um, that's why I call it a tier. So I kind of threw a lot out at you, Matt. Any thoughts and what's yeah, your next rankings? Yeah, um, kind of touching on Ronnie Mauricio, just for a reference point in a, I think it's a 15 team that I'm working on here. Uh, 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 yep. 15 team. Um, he was in my queue for a while. I had, you know, I had taken care of some other needs and I, and I just wasn't able to, to take him. And my plan wasn't the following round to grab him. Well, round 24 pick 14, Ronnie Mauricio went massive fall. The ACL, I think a lot of other people probably thought the same thing that, you know, ultimately, there were other needs, and with the ACL, they could probably grab him, and ultimately, you know, one team ends up with him. But 24th round for a player that we both value of that age and that ability at a position that, you know, is still in a lot of ways scarce of the high-end production was a pretty grab, pretty great grab. Um, now, again, the position at second base has been growing, um, and I think as we talk about some of these prospects, you know, this, again, will be a position where... I, as well as you, are happy taking some of the guys in the mid-tier and some of the younger guys because we see that upside. But I find it interesting what the Tigers are possibly doing with Heath because you also have Jace Jung on this you know, prospect list as well. I, I do, you do. Um, Tigers do in their organization. And I think it's going to be interesting in the next couple of years because Detroit may run into the same issue that Cincinnati has run into where you have Torkelson at first. You have multiple pairings at second base. You have Justin uh, Henry Malloy at third base, also in outfield. And you kind of have this log jam while also paying Javier Baez to, you know, be a pretty horrendous major league player, but he's still making all this money. And, you know, it'll be really interesting to see how they end up working this out and where people end up lining up. I think with Cole Heath, the big takeaway for me was the shoulder injury in 2022. It was something that he has referenced in interviews in regards to what his goals were for the 2023 season, which was simply staying healthy and really working his way back from that injury, I could see this transition to second really being something to aid his long-term health. And it's necessary. We saw a great profile from Heath. He comes in in both of our rankings as the number one second baseman now. I had mentioned to you even before we started that he was a guy that I was positionally placing at third and you know kind of talked me into ranking him at second and i love the profile um if he is a second baseman i think you know as i said he shoots the top of my board with the profile that you're getting 
I just do have question marks, especially for both him and, and Young. Where are they end up playing in their in their their final stance at the big league level? Yeah, um, I'm all in on Colt Keith. Personally, in our OG league that we started up together, I really hope Colt Keith stays at third base because that's where my biggest hole is. But, um, hey, I'll take what I can get. Get him up to the majors. Hopefully he can provide me a solid batting average with a little bit of pop. I'll be happy with that for sure. Well, and, you know, let's break right into it. Did you have any guys left on your top 22 you wanted to talk about? Yeah, so I have a, a rest of what's left here. So um, I'm okay with any of these guys being my starting second baseman. I don't feel the greatest, but I got Luis Arise at number 18, Bryson Stott, who you mentioned earlier, at 19, Nolan Gorman at 20, Jonathan India at 21, Andres Jimenez at 22. So a lot of question marks Jonathan India I think people still have that rookie of the year image in their minds but don't really account for the injury plagued and the down seasons he's had also the trade rumors that he's going to be out of Cincy so he's going to a less hitter friendly ballpark regardless of where he goes because Cincinnati is the best for hitters Nolan Gorman I had him in my categories league he started out the year great on fire and then he cooled off incredibly to the point where I dropped him when he was my starting second baseman and I don't think a lot of people realize how much of a fall off there was for Nolan Gorman so he drops a little bit I'm hoping he can rebound a little bit and shoot back up the boards but for now he's fallen in at number 20 for me yeah I and I have Julian 14 uh, Nolan Gorman 15 and both of them there for the exact reason you mentioned. Julian had split issues. Um, you know, I think with he has shown against righties, he's kind of a lock to play against righties. But because he struggled against lefties, he has fallen for me. I would just like other players over him, and I need to see more development. I think he will definitely rise the boards, boards as I had mentioned earlier, because I think he will be a guy for years to come that we value. But Gorman for me is the question mark because of that second half lack of production, because the strikeout issues came back. You know, we had assumed early in the season, those swing change, the changes that he made, really identifying a hole from 2022 was going to lead to a continuous 2023 breakout. And it just was not the case. And I have to put him at 15 because there is just too much variance and there's no speed. And most of the other players at this position that we can grab, especially in our mid-tier, like the Andres Jimenez and the Bryson Stott, they offer that speed. So if I'm going to forego a player that offers me speed, I'm going to need continuous production. And Gorman just can't give us that on a consistent basis yet. So he does rank 15th for me. Now, if I'm taking him 15th, I'm ecstatic. You know, if I'm getting him in round 25 in a dynasty draft, absolutely, no problem. But that's just not the case. You, you are paying a price for Nolan Gorman, and that price is because of that first-half production that we saw. So, again, draftability comes into my rankings pretty heavily here. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, you got me sidetracked because I started pulling up my minor leagues, and I'm going through looking at the registered fielding and seeing where they are. And I might need to adjust some things here on the fly, but... Um, yeah, I have Tyler Black as my number four, and I just looked it up, and he didn't play second base at all. Um, this past year is mostly third base, so I gotta I gotta move him off and move up my rankings here. So it's okay. Well, I'll start Sorry it off. I'm a little distracted, um, and I think Tyler Black. You know, while we we won't talk about him since he was third, is an interesting case study too because you look at Milwaukee drafting Brock Wilkin in the first round out of Wake Forest this year. 
assumption is he will be Milwaukee's third baseman of the future. And Milwaukee needs a third baseman of the 2024 season. And after what Black did this season, I think the expectation is, you know, if he can come in and have a good spring training, you have the opportunity for him to continue to play third this year for the Milwaukee Brewers. And then moving forward, 2025, 2026, as Wilkin continues to develop, which I think we assume he will and we hope he does, you know, hopefully Black can then be that utility player that the Brewers so desperately need, a utility player that can play first, that can play third, that can play second, and and be an above-average everyday utility guy, if not take that second base job. But as it stands right now, much like we talked about with um, Cole Heath, um, I hate Heath and Keith. So my apologies, listeners. It's always going to be a problem. You know, don't don't bash me for it. I just I'm illiterate. Tongue tie. Um, <laughs> and they're just too close together. But back to Tyler Black. I, I think we will do our list based off where he will projectably play next year. And be aware, though, when you're drafting in Dynasty Leagues, the likelihood of your drafting Tyler Black is you are drafting a guy that will have multiple position eligibility. That is my take on Black. But as it stands right now, I have kept him off my top 10. Uh, Kicking off, Colt Keith, number one. Um, I would say it's by far, but Tamar Johnson, who comes in at number two, I think has a lot of upside. I think Tamar has the upside to be the number one second baseman in fantasy for a number of years. Um, but again, that ultimately depends on what Colt Keith does at the major league level positionally. And number three, I have Matt Shaw. We absolutely love what Shaw did in his pro debut coming out of Maryland. Fantastic power profile, um, big leg kick, you know, providing that power for him. Going to be awesome to see him in Chicago. Going to be good to see him and monitor him against better pitching against higher velocities. But what we've seen so far is for for him to probably continue that projection to being a starting, you know, impactful fantasy player. And, you know, the question is, again, for him, too, positionally. I think for our first three, the only non-positional question is Tamar Johnson, which is why I originally had him number one overall. Yeah, I carry a lot of the same views you do. I have Colt Keith at one. Only difference is I have Matt Shaw at two and then Termar Johnson at three. I just think what Matt Shaw showed us in his first pro debut um, outweighs what Termar Johnson does. I definitely agree Termar has the pedigree. I just worry, and this is weird coming from me because I was way higher on Termar than you ever were, Um, but I was worried a little bit about his size and can he really tap into the power in his first couple seasons i have yet to see that power his plate discipline has been great which was one of the main reasons why i liked him i just need to see a little bit more from tamar in this next season in order for him to overthrow matt shaw but i still believe i just um getting becoming a little skeptical but i think these first three are the ones you want you got to have because after that, in my opinion, I feel like there's quite a bit of a fall off as far as the second base prospects go, um, at least until the, as far as proven go and pedigree go. There are some guys I like that could rise up the rankings um, in the Reds organization, which I know you like as well. So I would definitely say if you need a prospect, grab one of these top three. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, you know, I have Ronnie Mauricio for it's it's only because of the injury. I really don't like to rank guys that have had a taste of major league ball. Um, it's just, I, I think it's a little unfair because they're going to, they're going to be taken off prospect rankings, but 
Mauricio's ACL really puts him in a position where he shouldn't be forgotten about. And so he has to be four. I think after Mauricio, there's a lot of question marks. Um, but I just want to touch on Tamar one last time. He had a really nice 2023. When you look at the overall slash line, 244, you're like, oh, okay, that's that's not to be desired. But he had a 422 on base percentage, which is pretty incredible. He had some strikeout issues, had 120 strikeouts in 105 games, but had 101 walks. To me, when I see those kind of profiles, it usually means a player is being very passive at the plate, maybe detrimentally to themselves. And, you know, uh, Zavala has that profile. Um, Rodriguez for the Twins just got done writing about them. So they're on my mind. Similar profiles as well. You know, when you look at Johnson and you look at Rodriguez, they have power in the bat. They need to be more aggressive. I would really like to see Tamar in 2024 come out and swing the bat more because 101 walks and 120 strikeouts says to me that he's getting himself caught in bad counts at times. And that's just not the profile we've seen. He came in with a 70 grade hit. He needs to be aggressive at the plate. I think if we can see more of an aggressive Tamar Johnson, I'm okay taking a step back from the on-base percentage with walks. If he can improve that 244 to say a 280. And if he gets to a 280, he probably will show even more power than the 18 home runs he had in 2023. There's a lot of progression left for Tamar. And I think this 2024 season will, it will really make or break the position that we have for him in our top three. Yeah, I'll be interested to see when you trade him to me or drop him <laughs> like Jason Dominguez last year. Yeah, we all have our mistakes. Okay, give me your uh, give me your next couple guys on the okay. list. I'll just uh, rattle them off because they're kind of in a... Uh, I'll, go t- I'll go four through six because I want to talk a little bit more about my seven and eight. So number four, I have Connor Norby of the Baltimore Orioles. I think he does come in with a question mark on his position eligibility played mostly second base in the minors but if the Orioles do not trade him I think he could get moved to the outfield to play a little bit in there in the minors I do think he's the one that gets traded if at all and I'd be curious if he actually goes to the Brewers because the Brewers could use him as their second baseman that'd be nice I'd be I'd be ecstatic as a Brewers fan if we got Connor Norby um, and then some for Corbin Burns at number five I have Luis Angel Acuna of the New York Mets. He played mostly shortstop, but ever since he got traded, got moved over to second base in the minors. I think he provides a solid average, solid stolen bases. I don't think you're going to get much from him as far as the home runs. Then at number six, I have Jace Young, who you alluded to earlier, of the Detroit Tigers. I'm curious if he actually stays at second base. Maybe he's the one that gets moved over to third. His brother, Josh Young, obviously plays third base. For the Texas Rangers, he works out with his brother in the offseason. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe he's the one that gets moved over to third base if they truly want Colt Keith at second. So as of right now, I have Jace Young at six for second base, but we shall see if he stays there. Yeah, he comes in at number five for me. He has done enough uh, at the higher levels, especially showing the power to be awarded this fifth position. I have question marks about the profile uh, as well. I, I think his brother is going to have a better pro career than he will, but he's shown really good development and has shown the power. So if he can show that at the major league level, I I will be happy to have him five. I still like Mauricio Shaw Johnson and um, Keith Moore, but Carlos Jorge comes in at number six, and this is where I get really aggressive. 
Carlos Jorge is a guy you and I have talked about all year. Profiles a little bit of speed, um, you know, good amount of speed, actually good contact. Concern is exit velocity right now. Other concern is the fact that he's in the Cincinnati Reds organization. And I say that not because they don't develop. I say that because we know where their infield currently lies, which is already having trouble finding players' uh, roles and time. So I would imagine Carlos Jorge is a big-time trade chip when they need pitching. Bringing Frankie Montas in this past week, which we didn't talk about, one year, $18 million. Um, Carlos Jorge is the type of guy that can land you a big front-of-the-line uh, rotation starter at the deadline if he can continue his progression and his development into 2024. I think overall, him and uh, Luis Angel Acuna are probably very similar profile types. I like Carlos Jorge a little bit more. I think he's going to hit for a little bit higher average. And I think Acuna, who comes in at number eight for me, probably has more tangible major league speed. I have Norby sandwiched in between the two. And I think Norby's a guy that could end up in the outfield. If he stays with Baltimore, I think outfield's an opportunity. If he's moved, I think infield's probably his play. But we just haven't seen Baltimore do anything yet. And that concerns me. That concerns me that he's going to get stuck behind some of these guys at the major league level, and it's going to affect development. Um, at number nine, I have Hector Rodriguez. I think you're going to go ahead and talk about him next, so I will pass it over to you. Yeah, Hector Rodriguez does come in at number seven for me. I'll just round out my top nine here. At number eight, I do have Carlos Jorge, both play for the Cincinnati Reds, and then I round it out with Thomas Ajaycee, uh second baseman for the St. Louis Cardinals. I've been watching Hector Rodriguez over the past couple of years, and I just love what I've been seeing. I don't like the frame necessarily listed at 5'8", but he's only 19 and out of the Dominican Republic in 2021 as a teenager. Only 19, made it to high A this past year, but in 2022, he rose four levels going from rookie to a two different A balls, I believe. And this year, he made it up to high A and produced pretty much at each level. Low A was batting 293, went to high A, continued it with 294, put up a little bit of homers with 16 altogether, 18 stolen bases in there as well. The strikeout to walk rate isn't isn't as great as what I would like, but that's why he's ranked at number seven for me and not higher up on this list. And also, he plays for the Cincinnati Reds. Now, they do have a crowded infield, but if he makes his way and continues to progress, I could see him being an asset for them. Carlos Jorge, very similar. The only reason why he's behind is he hasn't quite proven it. He's also 20 years old, so a year older, and he's also at high A, but hasn't proven himself. Um, 23 games, batted 239 at high A, but in low A earlier in the year, he batted 295 across 86 games and 298 at bats. So, I definitely like Carlos Jorge. He's got the speed, 31 stolen bases. Homers can tick up a little bit. He's got 12 across both levels. I like the potential from both of these guys and the organizations that they're in. Thomas Ajaycee, I like what he's done this past year, but the fact that his breakout came this past year is the reason why I have him behind these two guys. Yeah, and, and Rodriguez was acquired from the New York Mets for uh, Tyler Naquin and reliever Philip. D Hall, I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly, but you know, this may be one of those trades that we look at in five years and we kind of laugh about. That's, you know, something you and I, in regards to Hector Rodriguez, had talked about most of the year without knowing the trade was made, just how the Reds found another one. 
and this happened to be in a trade, you know, Rodriguez and Carlos Jorge, both guys that I think in other organizations would probably scrape the top three, um, especially with Rodriguez's production. Right? I think he probably has shown the most so far, more so than um, um, Carlos Jorge, but I just like Jorge more. Both are incredible assets for this Reds team, and I think both are trade targets for other teams. And with the Reds having that solidified infield, for the most part, as long as Matt McClain's strikeouts tick down, there's not going to be playing time in the infield. Maybe they transition one or both of these players to the outfield, but as it stands right now, they are infielders. And love both of them. Um, coming in at 10 for me is Brian Rocchio. I'm not positive he's going to be a second baseman. I think maybe short is where he sticks, but I do have him ranked as my as a second base option here. Haven't been a big fan of him until really the second half of this past year where he really started to showcase that hit tool and that speed again. Great defense as well, so you know he's going to stick with Cleveland. So there's always concerns about you know offensive profile. Rounding out my 11 and 12 is Michael Bush. Playing time concerns in L.A. I do expect him to be traded this offseason, if not coming into the middle of next year. And then at 12, to finish it off, I have Cleo Watson. I have not given up yet, but yet another Cleveland um, Guardian. I think I continue to say Indians. It's just going to always happen. It's just going to happen. Just You'll be all right. Just move on with your life. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't have much to say on those guys. Um, should we move on to our, our targets? How you yeah. Wanna... yeah, and um, Segesi, I, I didn't rank, but he was he was originally in my rankings. I, I probably would have him... I should probably have him six, Throw honestly. Him at like 11. Um, I, I like him a lot. I think I think at second base, you know, we we know Mason Wynn's going to be the, the shortstop. That's kind of solidified. So Segesi at second, but we also know the the Cardinals have issues solidifying a second baseman. Um, and you said it best. He he really tore the cover off the ball this year, but we don't have a detailed track record of success. So uh, that was just a misstep by me. I would I would definitely have him at six over Carlos Jorge. That's fair. That's fair. Um, all right, let's break into our three we have it listed as three really what this is is us talking about i think um draft approach uh, as well as you know kind of where we're seeing certain players um if you have a better description of, of this little segment richie go for it uh, i just listed them as the redraft targets keeper dynasty targets and potential values on draft day okay so i, I don't like know that. how we want to categorize those as uh maybe just our targets yeah maybe just label it as these are our targets and we'll break them down um, so I'll just jump right into it then. Um, so if I'm playing in a redraft, honestly, the targets I'm going for are Nico Horner, Matt McClain, and Zach Geloff. It's not necessarily because they're part of the younger tier. It's because of where you can acquire them. You don't have to pay that premium of a Jose Altuve, Marcus Semien, or Mookie Betts. I mentioned earlier I'd rather spend that draft capital on a high-end first base, third base, or outfield because the drop-off at those positions are so much more significant than second base. I'd rather fill out those positions, and it just happens to be that Nico Horner, Matt McClain, and Zach Eloff are the best available on my big board when I'm ready to take a second base. So those are the guys I'm really targeting I think can provide the most value for me in a redraft league. Yeah, and I actually have the exact same three. For me, it's not even redraft. For me, it is dynasty. I'm I'm looking at where the value lies with Horner, McLean, and Galoff. And in the ten drafts I've been a part of so far this offseason, 
I'm really liking where they're falling. I think it is because there is position scarcity. I think it is because managers are targeting targeting those position scarcity um, needs. And so Horner, McLean, and Geloff are, are falling. And I absolutely love where they're at. I usually end up with Horner, who I actually prefer because of the stolen bases. I think you're going to get more power, obviously, out of McLean and Geloff. But you aren't going to get the same speed profile out of those two. Geloff, I think, offers a little bit more speed than McLean. But Horner as I spoke with you today about, I think has a guaranteed job, whether it's second, whether it's third, the, the Chicago Cubs will be playing him because of that glove and because of that speed. And you have a guy at 26, 27 years old who presumably will give you three to four years of prime. I have belief that I can find a backup second base prospect in the wings for when that speed slows down and I have to transition out of Horner. For McLean and Geloff, for me, it's really just trying to amplify the power um, I, if I have CJ Abrams at shortstop, or if I'm able to get a Victor Scott in the outfield, you know, where I know I'll have speed at either position, I'm more okay taking Galoff or McLean because I have speed covered elsewhere. And they're still going to give you 15 to 20 stolen bases each, but definitely value in these three players. Yeah, I, I definitely like those as well. Um, especially in a keeper dynasty league, it's more so in a keeper dynasty league when it comes time to that i'm not necessarily targeting them as much as my list that i have right now that i'll jump into for keeper dynasty and that's colt keith matt shaw edward julian and ronnie mauricio these are guys that i have targets on their head i'm hunting them down i'm making sure i'm getting at least one if not two of these guys in a keeper or dynasty league i just don't have that same approach towards Horner, McLean, and Geloff in a Keeper Dynasty League, especially in the ones that we played. Yeah, I ended up with, um, I think I ended up with Zach Geloff or maybe Nico Horner in in our uh, Points Dynasty League. I'm not sure. I'll have to double check because I got it mixed up. But I ended up with one of them, and I was okay with it, but it wasn't because I targeted them. It was because they fell to me, uh, whereas... I was much rather targeting Colt Keith, Matt Shaw. I ended up getting Matt Shaw in the minors draft of that dynasty league. And I was ecstatic because that was the one guy I needed to get outside of Walker Jenkins who didn't fall to me, but I was okay with Shaw getting uh, him as my backup. So those are my keeper dynasty um, targets. Yeah, I would, I would have um, Keith and Shaw as well in my two, I have Shaw listed, but the reality is I'm just never able to take them. Um, you know, the, the few mixed drafts that I've done with minors and majors this offseason, Shaw and, and uh, Keith go before I'm willing to take them because, as you mentioned, there are other players like Jenkins, Cruz, um, Lazaro Montez that I'm, I'm needing or wanting before these guys, and they're going in similar ranges. So I, I think it really is interesting to see where your value is at compared to others and, you know, Keith and, and Shaw just aren't available for me. Um, Tamar Johnson, Carlos Jorge, uh, Connor Norby, you know, those are the guys that I'm taking in this number two tier because they are falling a little bit. Uh, Tamar Johnson seems to be kind of fringe where Shaw and, and Keith are. I've gotten him in a league here and there, but I've had to reach a little bit for him. Again, it seems like people are still stuck in the mindset that second base is a, a position where you want to really have these minor leaguers, where I don't necessarily think it's as shallow as it has been in years past where it's necessary. That's why Shaw and Keith for me and Johnson as well have kind of fallen because 
I know that I can draft a Ronnie Mauricio or I can draft a Geloff or a McLean and have, you know, a three to five year window where I'm okay. It's a, I ended up with Jorge Polanco and Matt Shaw. That's my second base tandem in our points league. So it goes to show you, I didn't even list Jorge Polanco in our rankings, but I'm more than okay with Jorge Polanco. He probably comes in as my 23rd second baseman if I were to rank out that far, but I'm more than okay with Jorge Polanco being my second baseman until Matt Shaw comes up. So just goes to show you like putting our um, draft process out there and actually executing it in drafts is is definitely the way to go um okay so the next set is i've listed as most potential for draft value but i don't know however you want to sleepers um there's a whole different way i've got gavin lux and von grissom but after seeing how aggressive you are with von grissom i'm not so sure that he's going to be a sleeper I'm pretty confident that everybody's going to pick him as a breakout or sleeper this year, and he's going to be the pick at second base amongst the industry. But Gavin Lux, I feel people are completely sleeping on still. He missed all of last year. I can't remember what the injury was. I want to say ACL. It was a torn ACL, yeah. Um, 2021, played 102 games, batted 242, seven home runs. Okay? Then 2022 played 129 games, batted 276, again, only six homers. So he doesn't provide that much homer appeal, but I think his batting average is going to tick up. And right before that injury, it seemed like he was starting to break out. Like there was maybe a week, two, maybe three weeks where he was like starting to catch fire and then the injury happened. And that's when the breakout was coming. I think he comes back. I think he... Can I think he's going to be slept on, and I think he could be a draft day value for sure. What are your thoughts on Gavin Lux? I know you used to be in on him back in the day. Yeah, back in the day, meaning like two, three years ago. <laughs> it's hard again positionally. You know, what are the Dodgers really looking to do with this infield? We're, we know Mookie Betts will play the majority of time uh, at second base. Uh, I think there's opportunity there at short. If I'm not missing something, you know, as I quickly check roster resource. Um, I, I can't think of off the top of my head who would be starting at shortstop for them. I know that they had um, Ahmed Rosario come in and kind of fill that depth positionally in 2023, but they haven't really had anybody since the you know the loss of Corey Seager. As it stands right now, roster resource has Gavin Lux starting at shortstop. So, you know, maybe the also, Dodgers. Maybe not for this segment here. Maybe the Dodgers, you know, move on to a different option here coming off the ACL. But um, I, I have, he has second base eligibility, you know, and I can't imagine that the Dodgers roll with Gavin Lux in 2025 at, at, at short. So there's just question marks there. I like him in this segment. You know, I, I think second short, you're talking about a guy, like you said, people have forgotten about, and he had the prospect pedigree. If you remember just three, four years ago, the Dodgers were unwilling to move Gavin Lux and Dustin May or even one of for the Pirates, um, you know, now disgraced closer who is, you know, probably hanging out on, you know, that island, a.k.a. can't say it on the podcast. Um, but they were unwilling to move him because of the upside they had. And probably a good move because the guy was arrested like a week after the trade deadline. 
but I still see value in Lux. Um, it, it's just injuries and lack of major league production have obviously caused him to fall and could have a massive year. So if you know if he's still second base eligible in a few year leagues, I think he's a great target. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, you're gonna have to tell me about this off the air about this island because I'm not sure I'm following. But well, I'm I'm refer- I'm referencing you know a certain individual that's in the news right now that is you know no longer with us, and a list may be released this month because a federal judge has ruled that you know the names on this list can be released. And the closer for the Pirates was arrested for, let's just say, um, you know, immoral acts with people not of age. Um, And the Dodgers could have traded for him had they been willing to give up Dustin May or Gavin Lux. So we'll have this conversation off the air. Uh, My tier three, to finish us off, I had mentioned his name earlier uh, in tier two, but he really does for me fall in tier three. That's Connor Norby, Hector Rodriguez, and Brian Rocchio. Uh, these are the guys that I'm looking to scrape together kind of future production at later in the rounds of dynasty drafts. Norby's a guy where I feel like you're getting a major league starter for whatever team he plays for a guy that's going to be above league average and a guy that you can rely on as a steady starter. If he is moved, um, even if he stays with Baltimore, I think in time, you've got a guy that will have, you know, three, four category upside. And will just be above average player, which you need in dynasty leagues, if nothing more from depth for possible trade value. Hector Rodriguez, as we talked about, kind of is a high upside flyer. And Brian Rocchio, because I think with the speed, the defense, and possibly that hit tool improving, you could be getting an absolute steal depending on where he falls. This tier three for me is just kind of like, you know, middle to end of the draft for dynasty. Check if the names are out there, see where they're at in your queue. If they're still hanging around, they might be a really nice value pick. Yeah, I definitely like Connor Norby. I I think I'm going to add him to the, my list as well. I think he's one that's going to rise, and I think he may, makes the majors at some point this year, regardless of which team he's on. So I like that pick a lot. Yeah, he's um, he needs opportunity. All right, last couple names we want to talk about are actually not in minor league baseball. They are not in major league baseball. We're going to talk about two guys from the 2024 expected college draft, high school draft. Uh, that's Travis Bazana and J.J. Weatherholt, two players that we have kind of looked into and gotten a little more refreshed on as we did our Open Universe drafts, what was now almost a month ago. Um, Bazana and Weatherholt, almost identical profiles. You can go back and forth. Industry experts will go back and forth as well on who they would rather have. You know, you've got guys that are going to have 15 to 20 home run power in college have good stolen base ability, have great averages. Uh, I think both will be vying for the number one overall selection from the Guardians this year, and the other will probably go top five. Personally, I like J.J. Weatherholt a little bit more. Uh, he has the speed profile more so than Bazana has. Bazana coming out of Australia kind of wasn't known until he really took the college world by storm. Uh, but again, both players, absolute excellent hit tool. Weatherholt will be transitioning and trying to play shortstop this season, so that is also something to monitor. I am viewing both of these players as second basemen. I also will go as far as to say that if both were in the minor leagues right now, I would probably have them 2-3. I may even have Weatherholt over Colt Keith. Uh, That's how much I like Weatherholt because of the speed aspect. Dibs. I got dibs on these guys. Um, no, I definitely like Weatherholt. Um, MLB Pipeline gives him a 70-grade hit tool. 
It's not very often that somebody gets a 70 grade hit tool. Sometimes they give it out to uh, power and, and run ability, but I very seldomly see a 70 grade hit tool on MLB. So it just goes to show you the type of bat he has. Gets a 50 grade power, which is pretty standard for the college um, class, unless you're a power hitter like a Nick Kurtz and he gets a 65. So he doesn't even get a 70 and that's his calling card. Bazana, 55 hit, 60 power. So he's going to provide a little bit of pop for you. But I mean, I agree with you. Both these guys are going to be right there in the top, top two, three for me. As it stands right now, it's going to be hard for me to say they're be- I would put them over Colt Keith or Matt Shaw. But I mean, who knows? You know, if they come out and have a better pro debut than Matt Shaw, I could easily get there with them for sure. I'm just, I need to see it a little bit more. There's guys that excel at the college level and then they come to the majors and don't do so hot. We've talked about Ivan Melendez, the the Golden Spikes winner. He's struggled. He's turning around a little bit, but hasn't showcased what we thought he would be. So you never really know with these college guys until they get their pro debuts in. So keep that with um, a grain of salt with their college numbers. Yeah, and Melendez being the Golden Spikes winner, you know, there there was concern even at Texas with his swing and miss. The power was prodigious. It really showed out in college. He also being in a year where, you know, right after COVID, I, I think the talent level around him nationally didn't necessarily leave. Um, you know, there, there wasn't a Dylan Cruz or a Paul Skeens to really challenge him for the award. So, and there have been plenty of years where that's this, the case. You know, the Golden Spikes winner just isn't that unbelievable game-changing organizational face of the franchise. If I remember correctly, um, Austin Martin was a Golden Spikes winner. I'll have to fact check that, but look where Austin Martin is now as a prospect, kind of fallen off radars. Dansby Swanson, if I'm correct, was a Golden Spikes Mm -hmm. winner. And Swanson, while being nice, isn't the face of a franchise. Kind of for a reference point here, looking at Travis Bazana's baseball reference, 2023 with Oregon State, 61 total games, had 11 home runs, 36 stolen bases, only caught three times. So there is speed in Bazana's profile. Uh, batted 374 with a 500 on base percentage and a 622 slug. Those are video game numbers. That is dominating college baseball. In reference to what J.J. Weatherholt did at West Virginia, 55 games. He had 16 home runs, uh, 36 stolen bases as well, but was caught eight times. So Bazana seems to be a more efficient base runner. But we talked 374 for an average. J.J. Weatherholt bad 449 with a 517 on base and a 787 slug. So you see a significant difference in overall bat-to-ball profile. Now, again, you said it best. We need to wait for their pro debuts. I think what will be really fun this time next year is really breaking down who had a better pro debut once they are drafted. I wouldn't be surprised if either one of them by far takes the league by storm and does what Wyatt Langford is doing, obviously in a less powerful powerful approach, but you could see one of these guys absolutely blow up into AAA by just mashing and just hit, you know, singles, doubles on, you know, taking their walks. I think both have the opportunity to, to really rise fast, whatever team takes them. Yeah, I completely agree with you. All right, that is second base for us under an hour. Um, I'm going to apologize. We have a winter weather advisory here, and at times you were coming in and out today, Richie. So if you, the listener, stuck around to listen to the full episode and you were a little annoyed by that, I do apologize. You know, Not often does Vegas get winter weather advisories. So new for me, um, unfortunate for you guys. We will catch you guys next time.